Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh Lindsay. Hello, Christian. You are wearing a Girl Who Wore Freedom sweatshirt. I am that anyone can purchase in the Girl Who Wore Freedom shop at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Man, we went there early this time. All right. <laughs> and today we are with a whole crowd of people. We're getting dangerously close to the maximum of 10 people gathered together. <laughs> um, we've got Jason Rugg. How's it going, Jason? Good. How are you? Awesome. And then down in Tennessee is our film editor, Bill Ebo. Hello, Bill. Hey, guys. And then all the way out in the West Coast is Jeff Kurtnacker. Hello, Jeff. Hey, everybody. Jeff's our music guy, composer, and with us for the first time is sound mixer, audio engineer, sound extraordinaire, Jason Hoban. Hello, Jason. Hey. Hey, everybody. Jason, where, where are you uh, sitting right now? What, what state are you in? Northwest Indiana. Oh, okay. Not too far away. Yeah. It's not very hard for us to socially distance. <laughs> no, it's not. We are, we're doing a very good job of it right now. Um, so Northwest Indiana, so you are probably seeing a lot of Illinoisans lately, is that right? I do, yeah. yeah. They're, they're escaping from Illinois to come into Indiana. Yep, I'm up by the dunes, so I get a lot of people out on the beaches and uh, the parks, you know, where they can keep their distance, but also get out and enjoy this beautiful weather. So Jason, this is the first time you've been on the podcast. Um, uh, I use a lot of words to describe your title. What, what is your role in this film? Capture anything that makes sound and make it sound good and make it heard. <laughs> okay. It's a lot, I, um, I did the location. So I went out to Normandy with the whole production team and uh, mic'd everybody up and captured everything there. And then once we got back here in the States, I've been in the studio mixing, sound designing, editing, capturing dialogue, and all those wonderful things. Now, is that your background? What, what, what do you do officially? How, how did you get involved in, in sound engineering and so forth? Yeah, so I studied the recording arts in college. And then from there, I went out and got involved with some entertainment companies where I did some live sound, I did a little bit of location. And then um, while I was doing all that, I pursued opportunities with uh, studios and then I landed at Chicago Recording Company in Chicago and there I'm a post-production engineer so I work on television, radio, film, video games, um, anything for anything that any media that needs sound. And, and how, how are you connected to the Girl Who Wore Freedom? Yeah, uh, aside from doing location I did all the post-production. I did the final mix and so well well, how, how did you get hooked up though? Like, how did you, in other words, how did Christian rope you into this? <laughs> uh, I met Christian. She was doing some work. She um, directed some voiceover classes uh, at the studio. And we met there, got along great. And just our relationship developed from there into, hey, can you help me out with a trailer that I'm working on? And <laughs> hey, can you mix a film? Hey, can you come to Normandy? <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, it really took a jump there. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Okay. In my defense, a couple of things. One, 
um, Jason and I were slotted to be together. Uh, we didn't have any choice in this. We just, I showed up to teach the class and Jason was my engineer. And I was so uh, blown away by his ability to jump into a situation, be flexible. Um, he didn't just sit there and push buttons for me. He actually supported what I was doing. And I was able to, as time went over, turn over a section of the class to him because he was eager to do that. Um, and I really liked working with him. We had a good chemistry. And he, from the very beginning, um, learned about me going to Normandy. And so we had, we had known, you know, he had sort of watched the process of this film and I would tell him about it. The other thing that was really neat is he has a military background. And so when I met him not long after, uh, or not long before we met, he had gotten out of the Air Force. And so, you know, he's not that much uh, different in age than my son, Hunter, who had been in the Army. So we had that connection. And I knew he was very passionate about, um, you know, the military and would fit in really great with our crew. Plus, he's good at what he did. So I just started trying to see if he was interested. Um, and what's so great about this film is that it's a platform and given everybody an opportunity um, to do something they would love to do, but hadn't had an opportunity to do before. So I had the ability to give him um, an option for learning new things and uh, being in control of a whole department, gaining some experience. So um, it wasn't all just that I roped him <laughs> for my own, you know, purposes. <laughs> you know, you know what I've learned. I just figured this out. Chris, uh, Christian uses the stone soup technique. <laughs> a guy comes in and says, "Look, I can make the best soup in the world. All I need is a pot of water." And they're like, "Okay." And he's like, this is the best soup, you know, but you know what would be nice with it is a little bit of salt. And you're like, okay, we'll give you some salt. And then, you know, it would be nice if we had some carrots. And you're like, okay, fine. We'll use it. And then meat, potatoes. Next thing you know, they're supplying everything. Amazing soup. But she tricked you. Spot on. Spot on. I am nothing if not a saleswoman in one <laughs> So, Jason, um, for those of us who lack education in the importance of sound, especially in a movie, because that's something, you know, movies are obviously visual, and so we don't always think a lot about the sound. It's one of those things, it only really comes up if it's bad. Right. Um, so maybe could you just give us a brief education on, on you know, the importance of sound uh, in, in creating a good film? Yeah, sure. So when you capture audio with a mic or with a camera or anything like that, it's not going to be to the level, to the quality that you would want it to be when it's finalized, right? So when engineers first started out, they were called balance engineers because they brought that balance of sound effects, of music, of narration, of dialogue. They found that happy medium where everything sat comfortably and felt like it was in the same place, the right place, like they all belonged together. And so that's kind of my, what I do when we capture anything or bring in a score or add sound effects. It's finding that right balance so that when you watch it, you can be a part of the experience. You're not taken out by going, what are they saying? And, oh, man, I just can't hear what's happening here. Or is that music in the background? Or, are they, or is the music too loud? So ultimately, we, I find that really fine balance where everything sits comfortably together. And it takes a lot of work because a mic doesn't do any of that for you. You have to, you start with a really good recording, but there's always something that comes into play, whether it's 
noise or just the edit itself needs to make sense. So it's, it's finding that balance and bringing everything together so that it sounds just the way you'd want it to. Well, and one other thing is, you know, typically young filmmakers neglect good audio. They'll, you know, want everything to look great and get a good camera and all that stuff. And then they'll just hand some guy a microphone and a boomstick and, you know, hope they get it and not turn off the AC unit behind them and all this kind of stuff. And uh, you can make a great film with great audio and not great picture, but you can't do it the other way. If you don't have good sound, you're sunk. Yeah, so, I heard that a long time ago when I would go to, and I hate to say it, but I spent a lot of time going to the Midwest Independent Film Festival, which is every month here in Chicago. And there are a lot of independent films there. And the thing that was so horrible to sit through was any film where the sound was neglected. Yeah. And I learned it, that it's just not even fun to watch. You don't even want to be in there if it sounds horrible. And so it's an invisible thing that most people don't think very much about, but you know it when it is not there. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure Jason's gotten his fair share of people who bring him horribly recorded sound and say, can you fix this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, daily, daily. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause, um, you know, just even going down to when you pull out your phone, you can capture a really a pretty cool image. You can take a cool picture, do a really cool video, yeah. but the recording capabilities for audio just aren't there because you need specific mics maybe to do what you want to do. So your phone won't be able to produce that. So, you know, when you're, when you're doing a video and you're thinking about that, you're like, oh, this is looking great and all that, but then you can't hear everything because your palms over the mic or they're so far away and it's not directional. So it, yeah, I, I experience that every day. And, and the, the biggest challenging with when you do uh, location audio is the environment around you it can be so no refrigerators, HVAC systems, vehicles, traffic, people traffic. So yeah. there, it, it's definitely a, a challenging thing to deal with often. And then you had an additional challenge in our situation, which was, number one, we didn't have a big budget. So we didn't have money to buy you the equipment that you needed to do a large-scale production with, you know, 20 days of filming in a foreign country with, you know, all sorts of different people. And so you had to work with what you, could, you had. Um, and it's just amazing to me uh, the quality of what you've done. I mean, I, I remember you weren't just filming what people are saying. I remember you grabbing Foley, you know, down in the mud recording, you know, Jeeps as they drove through puddles and stuff like that. Um, you were hey, Christian, can you define Foley? Oh, yeah. I'll let Jason do it. It's his job. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it, Christian. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's like just uh, different layers of sound effects where Foley is recreating kind of the body, the simple sound effects. So if you hear me moving my clothes and stuff like that, then you go in and you have the actual sound effects themselves, like Jeep sounds, vehicle sounds. And um, yeah, I got down in the mud. I got in the trenches because I wanted that. I want things to be very authentic. And we're, everybody's ears are really smart. So when it doesn't feel right, it, if, it, if you're trying to fake it, everybody catches that. So the more authentic, the more true it can be. It allows that, that, um, what is it when you, it's not just like the subjective nature, but 
if it's not there, you'll consciously be taken out of the moment. But if it's all there, you're completely in it. And it doesn't feel you're not like, where did that Jeep come from? What kind of Jeep is that? That looks like a motorcycle. Yeah. And people that know Jeeps can tell the difference between a 1944 Willys Jeep and a you know a 2020 Jeep. I mean, they sound completely different. And different vehicles from the 40s all sound different. Trucks and motorcycles and Jeeps. And what was so wonderful is that in Normandy, everything is authentic. So normally people would have to buy and pay for the sound effects of a Jeep or a plane or people walking through mud. But we had soldiers dressed in authentic equipment, walking through grass, shooting real guns, riding in real Jeeps. And so it was like we had a, um, you know, just a abundance of riches when it came to authentic sounds and thankfully jason had the presence of mind at the time to realize that and be like i'm going to capture as much stuff as i can here because i want to use it in the film for the exact same reason yeah so i imagine you must work with jeff quite a bit jeff is the composer so maybe jeff i don't know if you have some questions or you guys could maybe describe your relationship and working together yeah the i mean I met Jason back in 2018 when we went to Normandy. Um, he was part of the crew. I was kind of part of the crew, but I, I was sort of there as an independent uh, bystander in a way. Um, that was my first time meeting much of the crew. You are um, telling yourself. You sat in the church at St. Marie du Mont and played an organ that was who knows how. Oh, old. that was amazing. That was, that was an amazing <laughs> you know, and experience. And we recorded that and we used it in the film. And so you were part of the crew. Don't undersell yourself. But uh, that was that was my first time uh, meeting a lot of these people. And um, so it was really cool to sort of see how everyone was working together and what the different components were. And I really gravitated towards um, Jason because of our kindred audio spirits. Um, I, I love that world. I don't know a lot. I think, you know, he and I are cut from the same cloth, but maybe just slightly different patterns because I, I focus more on the creation of music and he focuses more on a whole list of other things that I don't know a lot about, but I'm fascinated by. So, um, I just enjoyed watching him do what he did. He had all these different, uh, you know, wireless lapel mics and, um, he was crunched up behind furniture so that he wouldn't be in the shot and trying to listen to everybody. It was really cool uh, to watch him do it. But- I remember when he was behind the bar. At one point, he was behind the bar, lying on the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one of my favorite pictures of him just like thumbs up. It's like a still shot, a thumbs up, and he's crouched behind the bar. <laughs> uh, so that was awesome. Um, and then um, I knew that at this point of the pro- uh this post-production part of the film that he and I would um, would want to work closely together. And so fortunately he's a cool guy. Otherwise it would be a really painful uh, process for, I think both of us, if we didn't get along, but um, you know, it's, it's um, for me as a composer, I'm sure Christian and Bill maybe feel this way too, but um, you, you sort of are letting, letting your babies go and someone else is going to raise them a little bit in a way, um, a foster home. And then maybe you get them back at the end. But, uh, I, I created this music. Um, but ultimately I'm not the one putting it in its final position in the film. Right. So I had done what I thought was, um, was good for this film and then I got to hand it off to, uh, someone else to, um, to make some decisions about it. And so, um, there, I think there was just some back and forth about maybe how I 
kind of envisioned certain parts of the film and, and Hey, I was really hoping this might swell here. or You know, this is really background. It doesn't need to be uh, that important. So I was just kind of uh, giving him some thoughts about where my head was at when I created the score. And then um, we had a, we had a really good, I think productive time of going back and forth. Um, so for me, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I actually learned a lot about what he's thinking about mixing and different mixes for different venues and things like that. It was actually um, educational for me as a composer. Just to kind of add to that, it's in like, like Jeff said, when you, when you hand off your, you know, I was being giving, given a, his, a great piece of art, a really good piece of work. And um, so there's a lot of pressure to, to do that justice, to do it right, to make sure that um, it feels and has everything that it needs to in the film the way he wanted it. So, yeah, it was a lot of back and forth. It was, hey, take a listen. What are your thoughts? And, and I wanted his blessings because it, he had so many different visions for so many different areas. Like you said, there are some points where the score wouldn't be much, but in others it would be driving and bringing that emotion, the energy. And uh, when you're, when you're doing sound design, doing dialogue and narration and all that, there's so much that you're paying attention to that it's great to have an extra set of ears to say, Hey, let's actually bring this up here so we can hear more of it. And it, it brings that driving element and brings the emotional context. So it, yeah, the relationship between, I would say, you know, I would, I often just say I'm an editor, but the editor and the composer, the sound editor, it, to me, it's, it's a very important relationship because if, if the composer feels great about his tracks in the score or in the film, then you, as the, the mixer, you feel great because then you're like, okay, I have the music where it needs to be. Everything's hitting the way it needs to hit and I'm not taking anything away or boosting anything up too much. So it's a, it's a really needed relationship. And everybody's so fighting for, uh, everybody's fighting for space, right? So there's a, there's a pie in that mix and everybody's trying to say, I, I, need, I want more dialogue. I want to hear the sound effects more. And I'm saying, I, I want to hear a little bit more of my music. And so you, you can only start shifting that pie so many different ways before um, it really becomes sort of nothing. It becomes bland and real flat and we, we lose the, the dynamicism, dynamicism, I don't know what the word is, but we lose that dynamic of the, of the mix because everyone starts asking for more. And, um, and so we had a great relationship between all of us here on this podcast to be able to say, Christian's like, Hey, I, I need the voice over here more. And, um, people were, we kind of all chimed in on sound effects and score. And so, yes, everyone's saying I need more of this because it's really important but we also were able to say okay let's find out what is what's the main focus here that's bringing the emotional tone is it the the sound effects is it the music is it the narration and so um visuals i mean yeah it it really what's so fascinating i was just sitting here thinking um we have never all been in a conversation together at the same time not to mention (laughs) Have we ever seen each other? This is the first time we've all ever been looking at each other at the same time. And yet we have such a symbiotic collaborative relationship because everything does fit everything else. I mean, I really leaned on each person to bring their own stuff to this sound conversation. Bill in particular, um, and each person feels like different things are important. Bill's focus is visuals. 
but he knows how much he wants the sound to either come into the visuals or not take over the visuals, whether it's score or sound effects or whatever. Um, and so I did feel sorry for Jason at some point because <laughs> we were all like, Jason, we got to have this and we got to have this and we got to have this. And this is what most people don't know is that the sound guy gets dumped on at the very end all the time. I felt bad for him constantly because we're like, okay, you have two days to finish this entire thing and then you got to turn it in. You know, he gets right. no extra leeway. Um, so, and the other thing I do want to say is that we had the benefit of screening the heck out of this film. So in some ways it was people's nightmare, but in another way it was a gift in that for example, Jeff got to hear his score in several different theaters in Normandy, and the score plays very differently depending on what theater you're in, what you're listening to it on, what the mix was. And so, you know, he, we were all able to give Jason that feedback because Jason was never, he never once has heard his mix in a theater setting. So... Oh. Yeah, outside of the studio, which which replicates a theater, but no, I ha that's a really big challenge that I face because each theater is is gonna be different acoustically. Yeah. So I, I think the funniest thing story is that this very last one, Bill. I'm gonna let you tell this story. Um, this was where Bill had a really strong feeling about a specific sound effect. Um, and so that ended up being our very last thing we were tweaking at the last minute. But why don't you tell that yeah. story? Well, before I say that too, I wanted to say that uh, what we had to be very aware of too with Jason is that <clears throat> you get this 90 minute sound design, you know, piece of sound design. And me, Jeff and Christian are like, we, this needs to be louder. This needs to be quieter. This needs, you know, and we're hitting him with all these, like, here's what's wrong with your work. <laughs> so we had to stop ourselves and go, this is amazing. Here's the seven things we need to fix. You know, <laughs> typically you just dive into what, what you think is wrong. Um, but yeah, so one of those things was there's a section in the film where we fade to black and we're coming uh, into a section of the devastation of the American bombing campaign in Normandy and on, especially on the French citizens. And so we fade to black and we come in with these very short half second images of, you know, archival video of explosions happening. And the first time I heard them, <clears throat> I was like, oh no, these need to be like twice as loud. I want like shake the room, you know, scare people in the theater kind of thing. And so Jason would do it. Yeah, I got it. He'd send us a new mix and I'd be like, no, nope, we got to go farther. We got, you know, and he probably went like through four rounds of this before I realized I'm listening to this on my IMAX speakers. And Jason's in a theater, you know, tweaked out audio room. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not even listening to this properly. Uh, and I think we were listening to the broadcast mixers. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was able to get, you know, the best headphones I had, which probably still aren't good enough. And my powered JBL speakers, which are not, you know, this is not a room set up for, you know, judging that. And was able to go, okay, I, I think he's there, but I'm going to have to trust him. And, 
Uh, and that was part of it too, is that I feel like with all four of us, there was such a level of trust that if, if there was disagreement or there was any sort of, you know, thing, I would trust Jeff with the score. I would trust Jason with the sound. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I think it was just a, a good relationship all around. Do you, do you think that's uh, having that level of trust is even more important working virtually? Absolutely. Because like Christian said earlier, typically me, Jeff and Christian would be sitting in Jason's, you know, audio suite, listening to the score together um, and making judgments, all listening to the same thing where we were all listening to it, you know, at different times on different speakers. And, uh, and you could, fix those things immediately. Whereas, you know, with Jason, I always felt guilty because he'd, you know, do a bunch of tweaks, then he'd have to export the whole thing out. We'd upload it. Then we'd have to listen to it again, make feet comments. He'd go back in and that loop would repeat itself where if we were just sitting in the room, we would just go, Hey, can we bump this up? And he would, you know, it would happen it's it's kind of like texting versus a phone call. You could have a three day text session or a five minute phone call, and um, you know we were yeah. we were doing the three day text session with Jason. And it is the <laughs> it has been the beauty of this project that we have a virtual film company that we can work with people in France. You know, our translators mm -hmm. were in France, and we'd have to translate over Zoom. And you know, we have people all over the United States working on this crew, and so that's a beautiful thing because it gives a lot of people opportunity to participate in something amazing and it costs us less money. But at some point you sacrifice other things. And what we had to sacrifice was the time component, being able to review everything at once. And you know, when, when he talks about exporting and uploading and downloading, those are all time things when you're dealing with a 90 minute film. And so that adds to the weight of what everybody is doing, extra time working on that. And um, so that's why, in some sense, this movie took um, a, a lot longer than maybe it should. So, Jason, I heard the film is finished. Uh, can you tell me, is it really finished? Are you done? <laughs> no, I'm not done. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> um, no, I think there's a lot of... Um, so with... So with with audio, there's a few things that you have to deal with. So when you're streaming or broadcasting, there's all these different standards and specs that you have to uh, abide by. So that mix, a streaming mix and a broadcast mix will be drastically different than what you hear in a theater. A theater, you get a lot more loudness. You're really allowed to open up where with streaming and broadcast, you have a ceiling. So we finished the streaming and broadcast mix, and then I'm going to be in the, the uh, studio finishing up a theater mix the theater mix only comes in it was it's the last one because right now we don't have any um we don't have any dates to show the film in a theater the next one will be whichever film festival we're accepted into first and so we don't need the stream uh, the theater mix until then so we did need to get the streaming mix up because we're being judged on the streaming uh, we're being judged on our film for the film festival uh, online. So we had to have that right away.
All right. And, and do you have a, is it just kind of whenever you get it done or are you on a deadline or how's that working for you, Jason? Uh, usually Christian gives me a call and lets me know I have two days, so I, I can, uh, <laughs> I'll know more then. <laughs> yeah, but at all least fairness, two days. In all fairness, uh, on this last round, you had like a month. You had <laughs> six weeks, I think. I had, to, I had to get one in, Christian, on you. <laughs> I deserve it, Jason. <laughs> So, so Bill or Jeff, do you guys have any other questions or, or stories for Jason? Uh, yeah, I have a couple things I just wanted to mention, and, and Jason can speak to these. Um, but fortunately, Jason's a guy who's very patient. He's very good at his job. He's also very patient and very kind because I've gone back and forth with him just on the score, and he's always willing to listen to my feedback. And then also I can change my mind three days later and he's not super upset with me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think like we talked about with Bill and the editing and sometimes it's just like he talked about being an invisible art. Um, when you see reenactment footage that they shot in France and now Jason's putting footsteps on the soldiers and Jeep sounds on the Jeeps and, you know, the clothes sound, and he's putting all that Foley on that scene. You have to ask yourself, do I believe that this scene is happening? Do I, does it sound like I'm there? And, you know, Jason and I had conversations about just footsteps. Does his footsteps seem loud, soft? And those are really, it's a skill set that um, I think is underrated to be able to um, reconstruct a scene from sound effects to be able to feel like you are there and that you're at a certain vantage point of that scene. Um, so I thought what he did in some of those reenactment stuff was really cool and it really came out nice. But also, um, another thing that is underrated that maybe I think if you see the film, you probably would have no idea, but the amount of noise that he was able to get out of some of the source recordings from being in Normandy on the interviews, um, it's unbelievable. And I remember calling him and saying, man, I cannot believe the difference from, there was so much wind and now I don't hear any wind at all. Like it was like magic. And I thought maybe they filmed it again on a different day, but um, just using those tools that he has to, to clean up that audio, it makes such a huge difference. So um, those are two things that really stood out to me that I thought he did phenomenal on. And if you want to speak to that, Jason, I just wanted to point that out that that was great. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the compliments. Really. I, that means a lot. And what, I want to touch on this real quick. Um, <clears throat> I did do a lot, but there were so many people around me that um, just jumped right in and made things like Savannah Woods. She was crazy in Normandy. She, she jumped in on everything and helped me a lot. Jake uh, Christian's son did the same. So I, I was really, I mean, everybody was giving me a hand. So I, I don't mean to leave out any names. And then when I get all these compliments on my mixes and sound design, it's, it means a lot, but it's also to a lot of your credit because when there's, there's scenes where, where Bill was saying like, I want those sound effects to shake your house. I want this place rumbling. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And it just, it makes it so much better. Cause a, there was a point in that story where I was like, Oh, I see what you're doing. I went for, okay, I want this to sound like a realistic archival footage. And then Bill's like, no, let's make the sound effects drive the story. Like, let's really bring the emotion there. And so it's that type of feedback, the, all the help I got that really makes everything so really well. So I want to say thank you to everyone because it's not just my ears, not just my talent and abilities that made everything what it is. But to answer your question, yeah, there, it, there's a lot that goes into that because if you any of the reenactments, all the archival footage you see, None of that had audio. 
there was no sound for any of it that came with it. So I put everything back in and it can be challenging because you don't want the viewer to be pull, pulled out of the story. You want this to be a seamless experience that they can really be immersed in. And um, yeah, and so there's a lot of things that go into that, like taking wind out or when people are yelling and screaming in the background because they think you're a news crew <laughs> <laughs> trying to get on live TV. Um, there, there's a lot that goes into it. And um, thank you for recognizing that because a lot of times people don't realize um, the challenges that different editors, whether it's video composers or sound guys face. It's not just simply plugging the sound back in. It's finding that balance with everything and, and making things feel like they belong in the right place. Well, and, and one other thing that we haven't really touched on too much is sound design because like I remember one thing specifically because it's one of my favorite parts in the film that Jason came up with completely on his own was there's a section in the film towards the end where Michelle Devalvier, who was shot by the GI uh, paratroopers, we bring his story back in and I don't even remember how, I think we just had him on camera or something. I can't remember how we got to that in the edit, but at some point Jason put all of that under black and it was like kind of off in the distance. So you're almost like hearing it from the past of him telling his story and then the five gunshots and me and Christian, I remember going, Oh my gosh, that is so great. So we just gave Jason the space to put that in because it was better than what anything we had come up with in the edit. So it, he's not just like, okay, here's a Jeep. I'm going to put Jeep sounds here. or I'm going to balance this out. He's also creating. And that's, you know, again, why we're like, Jason needs a slide because we, we can't list him, you know, eight times in the credits. We've got to <laughs> try to condense it to something. Um, so there's, you know, that was that part of it too. I remember when that moment happened because the way we did that story is we told the beginning of the Michel de Valivier story. He was the, um, he lived at Breakcore Manor. Many of you may have, um, you know, are familiar with the band of brothers story where that was the first, um, place liberated by Dick Winters. And so he was, um, he was shot in the back. And so we tell that story first and he does say I was shot in the back five times. And we cut that story there. Now we come back in later because you wonder, well, he, what happened? He was shot in the back. But it's been such a long time since we um, have told that story. He comes in saying, I didn't lose consciousness. And so I remember when Jason said to me, he's like, I'm sending you this mix. I've done something a little crazy. I don't know if you're going to like it or not. <laughs> If you don't like it, that's okay. And it's not just that you hear under black, you hear the five bullets, but you hear him fall into the grass. So he created what we would have seen had we been there. And it prepares you to be in the scene before he begins to speak. And that's the magic of, of what you can do with sound. And he was able to do that in several places actually. And it, it brings more to the story than we're able to tell with visuals. So that was something he came up with on his own. And I want to point out, he said it very quickly, but most people do not understand this. When we were filming everything, the, the sound 
and the video is recorded totally separately. So what Bill gets when he's looking at video is video without sound. So Jason records all the sound separately, and then we have to put those two things together and re recreate what he actually heard. Um, and that's an art. It's an art. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a lover of film, but every year at the Oscars, they have two categories for, for you know, sound, the mixing and design. And, and I'm like most people, I'm like, what's the difference exactly? <laughs> and uh, I thought this was a good educational piece on that, so thank you. Um, I, uh, I do remember um, I, I went to Ravinia to hear uh, or to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark where they, they played the music live. And so obviously they get rid of the soundtrack. Or I'm sorry, they get rid of the score in the movie and they play that live. They kept the dialogue in, but then they turned down the sound effects in Foley. And I've seen that movie a hundred times and all of a sudden it became a, not a very good movie. It was my favorite movie <laughs> of all time. But with the sound quality, I'm like, it's like a cheap film. And so I really hope people are gathering just the importance of sound and design and those sorts of things, because I, I think it was Jeff who said it, it's an, it's an invisible art form. So uh, great job, Jason. Thank you. If, if there are young filmmakers that are listening to this, and I hope there are, that's this podcast is for you. Um, I want to give you an analogy. Um, when I got married, I remember thinking that, when I, you, you have a certain amount of, you know, you have this event and you have a budget and you have to decide how you're going to spend your money. Are you going to spend it on the venue? Are you going to spend it on the dress? Are you going to spend it on the food? What about the photography? What about the flowers, right? You have to make decisions with the set amount of money that you have. And I remember thinking when I had to make my decisions, oh, photography is so important. But then I remember thinking if the, if the, if the ambiance doesn't look good, it doesn't matter how great the photographer is. So I made sure to spend money on the flowers because I felt like the flowers really enhanced the photos. Well, the same is true with sound. You know, when you're thinking about how you're going to divide up the budget that you have uh, for making a film, do not shortcut the sound department. And don't just think about it for location. Think about it all the way through the end of the film and make sure that that person has the money that they need to do the job and that they are fairly compensated for their time because it's just as time consuming as the visual aspect of the film. It's just for some silly reason, they're not given the glory for whatever reason. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I, we're going we're gonna to try to change that. We're changing yeah. things. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, Christian, what, what do we need to know about um, film festivals, going to the website, raising money, th that kind of stuff? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, just before I came onto this podcast, I got another film festival rejection letter. Mm. So that was from FID Marseille in the south of France, um, and it was in July. Uh, I was really hoping for that one, but it, it does not... Um, but in the back of my mind and my heart, I didn't think it was really going to happen. In a way, I'm kind of glad. We The next one coming up in France, we do have the Paris Movie Awards that's sort of next. But the one we're really hoping for is the DeVille American Film Festival, which is in Normandy, which is the first two weeks of September. And we have now had the mayor of Carentan and the mayor of St. Marie-Dumont and uh, the general council of France to the Midwest 
all write us letters to the film fest, all write letters on our behalf to the film festival saying you need to have this film in there. So I'm really hoping that would be the case because all of our Normandy people would come and be able to be a part of that. So our team members haven't even met all of them. Uh, so that would be cool. And then uh, we did get a letter yesterday from a film festival uh, or a, I'm sorry, a film sales agent. Um, we were accepted into the trailer film festival where you put your uh, trailer in this contest and we were accepted. Then they take the trailers and they share them with sales agents and distributors. And if those people are interested in your film, they contact you. So uh, somebody reached out to us interested in, um, you know, talking to us about that. Uh, I don't know that it's one that we will want to do a deal with, but I was still encouraged that someone saw our trailer and thought, Hey, I want to learn more about that film. So that was good. We are still in a situation where I need to pay these wonderful people and we, our donations are down. The sponsorship that we were hoping for from Michelin has been put on hold. Um, and you know, things in South Carolina are getting pretty bad again. So I don't know if that's going to come through. So we are still asking for donations. People can still make donations at the girl who wore freedom.com slash donate. And we are telling some wonderful stories. I think we talked about last week with our social media team, um, how we're trying to respond to this moment. We tried desperately hard to get African-American representation in our film. And we wanted to show what they had contributed to the war. And we were not able to do that. And it was very heartbreaking. We tried really hard, but they were not in the area. None of our people had met African-American soldiers or had a relationship with them. And finding footage and photos is very difficult. So we had trouble with that. We're trying to make up for that uh, by educating our audiences on uh, the role of African-Americans in uh, the war. And we're going to try to do that through storytelling and blogs and little short videos. We just found out that there were African-American women that worked in the mail room in France uh, that helped get the mail going. And so we just, we've been researching the heck out of those things. We even found an African-American female veteran um, museum. So we're going to try to partner with them. So we're trying to do things like that to bring awareness to not only our film, but to, to other veterans and just kind of continuing our mission of telling untold stories. So I would encourage people to uh, watch our social media and engage with us there. Uh, I am learning from these sales distributors that the more followers we have on YouTube, if you haven't signed up for YouTube on my team, do that <laughs> and leave us comments like on social media, because the more interaction we have, uh, the better. So go to the shop. Every time you buy something that uh, says the girl who wore freedom on it, those funds help to, um, you know, pay people. So yeah, that's kind of where we are. Awesome. Well, Hey, I want to say thank you to Jason for all the work you've done to be on the podcast today and, and Jeff and Bill, thank you for joining us and Jason rug. Thank you for being here. And I'm Christian, I want to ask Jason, Jason, do you have anything to say? Because like, it's been two podcasts now where you said something <laughs> and I want to have you say something. Do you, do you have any we're, questions? We're out of time. We're out of time, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I am really of the mind that when great minds are in the room, you let them do the talking and that I, I love hearing what each of you had to say. And 
I don't necessarily have anything to add right now. So I, I'm just, I was glad to be a part of it and listen. Well, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for that. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.